Hi everyone, welcome to Transform Church and thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us. My name is Mark Pisani and I will be your host for this service. We're just about to get things kicked off here in just a moment with the band coming out to lead us in a couple of songs. Just before we do, we would love it if you could share this video with your family and friends and invite them to join you. Also connect with us in the chat and tell us where you're watching from and say hi to everyone. We're going to jump into worship now, so join us as we sing together. Thank you. 
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you Hey everybody, welcome once again to Transform Church Online. I can't wait to get into the message and hear what our speaker has to say for us today. Before we do, please do us a favour by sharing this broadcast on your social media platform so we can reach others with these life-transforming messages. This is as simple as clicking the thumbs up icon on Facebook and if you're joining us on YouTube, Please do the same, and also don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We would love to see you in person. Visit us at 88 Agar Drive, Truganina. That's in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Now, as we get into the message, feel free to engage with us and share your thoughts on the message, or just say hi and let us know where you're joining us from. Let's jump right into it now and join our speaker for today, Pastor Gregory J. Williams, as he brings us the message titled, Horrid Hypocrites. So if you've been with us, if you're here for the very first time, we've been talking about how to love people that suck the life out of you. And so it's been quite a journey. We've been through three weeks already. We started off with talking about people that are controlling. Then we went into critics. Last week we talked about needy people, right? And there's some people in our world that just kind of suck the life out of us. Um, then, as we said, needy, critics, hypocrisy, all kinds of things. 
manipulative, and sometimes they're very hard to love, right? But the scripture tells us that we are supposed to love them. And quite honestly, it can be quite difficult because spending time with them is just depressing. Because after you have this meeting, it's been one, two, three hours, they just take the life out of you and you're just kind of demoralized. You feel depressed because that depression just jumped onto you because they delivered it to you in a nice package and you take it home. You're depressed now. So really... How do we love and help people that have all these things in our life? So today the title is called Horrid Hypocrites, all right? And as you probably guessed, we're talking about hypocritical people. So question for you, how many of you know a hypocrite? Don't raise your hand if they're sitting next to you. (laughs) Are you sitting next to someone? Maybe it's someone in your life, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a co-worker, whatever it may be. Did you know that the number one criticism or comment about Christ followers is that, from non-followers, is that we're hypocrites? That's a sad thing, right? A lot of people say that Christians or Christ followers are big hypocrites. And that's just sad. Because... Maybe we haven't done a good job of actually being what God has called us to be. And what we say and what we do are two different things. Maybe we profess to be some kind of person, but what we actually end up being are someone completely different. And that disparity is becoming quite obvious to those that don't even know who Jesus is like we do and say we follow him, but they're aware of how we behave. So how can we not be these kind of people? Now, just a quick FYI, did you know the word hypocrite actually comes way before the life of Jesus? Jesus referenced it, but it comes from actually a Greek theater setting. And a hypocrite was someone who was actually a stage actor. And someone that put themselves in a stage and they would put on a mask. So someone in sort of production, they're doing some work, they're pretending obviously to be someone that they're not. And they're actually acting out a different personality. So that's what a hypocrite is. Someone pretending to be someone that they are not. And so oftentimes when we look at our life, Do we have the same different personality when we're in church and then we're outside with someone completely different? Do we have different sort of attitudes when we have around people that we know we should be acting a certain way and then when we're at work or when we're with our friends down the corner, we're acting someone completely different? Do we have a duality of different personalities? That's what makes a hypocrite, when we actually say we're one thing and we're acting in a different way. And that's where the word comes from. Now, Jesus talked about this a lot. Jesus actually said we should not be hypocrites because it was quite obvious. Even in Jesus' day, there were people around that were acting in this way. And this is what Jesus said. He said, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's what Jesus says to these people. He says, outwardly you look a certain way. You're acting all righteous. You're acting all holy. You're acting like you have it all together. But inwardly in your hearts, you're filled with hypocrisy. Because what you're actually saying you do is not what you do. We can't have this duality of purpose. 
We can't have a duality in our lives. We can't be schizophrenic in our attitudes and where we go. We have to have the same attitude wherever we are. That's what eliminates hypocrisy. But how do we deal with the hypocrites in our life? It might be a person that hangs out at life group, you know, they act all normal and it comes time to pray. They're always volunteering like, you know, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for the food, I'm going to pray at the end of the, the group, I'm going to do this. But then right after, outside the life group, they're, sta- they're standing around talking about someone else, discussing someone else, putting down someone else. It might be that person who's super spiritual when they come to church, you know, they're walking on clouds. It's like God just brought them out of heaven and they're just like this, have this amazing spiritual life. They're telling someone how amazing their walk with God is and it's amazing and they just heard God tell them this and what, how many sugars they need in their coffee. That's because God told them all this stuff. But then they go home and they freak out at their wife. They yell at their, hus- their wives or their husbands. They treat their kids really badly. They go out with their co-workers. They get drunk. They act like a fool. But on Sundays, they're all different. Maybe it's your boss at work who says that they're Christ follower, but, and they love God, and they love people, but they treat their employees really badly. They mistreat them. They talk down to them. They disparage them. They say all kinds of negative things about them. That's a person who lacks integrity. Or maybe it's a friend who you hang out with that tell people, you know what, I hate gossip, I hate when people gossip about me and talk about me, but then they talk about someone else right after they say that. They wait for their friend to turn their back and they talk bad about them. These are people that we look at and we call them hypocrites. So how do we respond? What do we do? How do we actually deal with people with love? How do we deal with them? Why? Do they act in a certain way? Have we asked ourselves? And I think if we actually present ourselves with this question and begin to ask ourselves, why do people act the way they do? Why do they act in a certain way? And oftentimes it helps us to gain perspective when we ask ourselves why they act that way. Because if we determine why people do what they do, I think it'll basically help us deal with, with those people, how we act with them. And This morning, I'm going to give you basically three sets of people that I think actually we all fall into. We all kind of fall into these basic groups of why people act the way they do. So number one, I think why people act this way is maybe they don't know God, right? Maybe in their world, They actually don't know who God is, and they're just acting that way because that's how they always act. They don't know any different because they don't know who God is. And so they're not actually hypocrites. They have no idea how they should behave because they just think it's normal. That's how people behave. We talk about people. We gossip about people. We just act that way. So what they are doing is not really hypocritical because they're not acting in a different way that they think they are. They're just acting what they think is normal. They just don't know what kind of right behavior. So what these people read is not be called hypocrites. What they actually need is maybe an encounter with Jesus. What they need is Jesus to come into their life and change their life. Or maybe they haven't given their life to Jesus, so they have no idea why and how they're acting. Number two, maybe they don't know any better. Maybe they don't know any better. 
There are some people who might have decided to follow Jesus, but they have no clue what it means. They're just starting out on their walk. They've decided, you know, they came to church the first time. They loved the setting. They loved the people. They said, you know what? I want Jesus in my life. I'm going to change my life. But they have no idea. They're new to this walk, and they don't know what it means to follow Jesus. And they're just oblivious of the fact of how they're acting. And Paul actually talks about this. He says this, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Because they don't have any idea. They're like a child. They've just come. They have a new life. They don't know how to do it. So these kind of people, they don't need correcting. They need instructing. They just need to be taught how to live the way God wants them to live. Because they might be acting in a way that's not right because they've not been taught or instructed or told how to live a life that's right in the sight of God. So this might be someone that has had a redeemed encounter with Jesus, but their lifestyle has not caught up to their decision. So they just need to be instructed rather than being corrected. They just need to be taught. Now the third set of people, and this group is primarily what we're going to focus on this morning. The third set of people is maybe they know better, but still disobey God. These are the people that are actually the hypocrites. These are the people that fall into that category. Now there are people that actually decide, hey, I'm a Christ follower, I know who Jesus is, but I just want to do it this way. They know better, but they just can't be bothered. Or they're just willful, or they just willfully want to ignore Jesus' instructions. Peter, who spent an inordinate amount of time with Jesus, he was almost his right-hand man, puts it this way in his letter to the church. He says this, For you are free... Yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I love what Elliot was talking about here. The freedom that we enjoy that comes from God. God has given us freedom. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up to do evil things to other people. To talk behind people's back. To go around and disparage them. To put them down. To call them all sort of names. Don't use the grace of God to cover up bad behavior. And say, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. And most times that's what they think. These rules don't apply to me. Because you know what? I'm free to do what I want. God set me free. They try to rationalize it. They try to justify it. It doesn't matter what I do because I know God's going to forgive me. Don't judge me. You have your own issues to deal with. So don't try to tell me what to do. I know it's not right, but I'm not hurting anyone, am I? We make all kinds of excuses. You know, I'm not really materialistic. I just like nice things. If God didn't want me to have that... He wouldn't give me the money in the first place. We don't think that we're conduit for God's blessing 
that God pours out his resources in our life because we're supposed to be his children so we can represent him, we can be generous like he's generous and we can pour out of what giving. No, 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 it's for me because you know what? God gave it to me. If he didn't want me to have it, he wouldn't give it to me. I don't have a problem with this, anger, frustration, adultery. It's just something that I'm just trying out. Oh, I'm not really, it's just moments that happen to me. It's not something that I really do all the time. I wouldn't do it all the time. We just try to justify it and then get others to try and condone our behavior. To come onto our team, onto Team Bad, you know? Michael Jackson sang about it. I'm bad. You're like, no, no, we want to be good. <laughs> We're not bad. Come on to my team because it's okay over here. It's the cool team. We can do what we want. But that's what happens. Don't use, Peter says, the grace of God as an excuse to do bad things. Don't let the freedom that God has given us be taken advantage of and say, God's going to forgive me anyway. He said he's going to do it, so I'm going to go out and do whatever I want. Because then we become hypocrites. Because we say we're one thing and we're not actually doing that. Or being that. What would you say when someone is being hypocritical in your presence? Or someone that you know, a friend, a family member? Do we go, well, you know, it's really none of my business. I shouldn't even be interfering. I shouldn't talk about it. I shouldn't mention it. Is it really our business? Do we confront? Are we non-confrontational? Do we say anything? Are we all up in their business or we just turn a blind eye and walk away? How do we respond? The reality is that the prophets, Peter, Paul, and Jesus always confronted hypocrisy. They did not let it slide. Because as Christ followers, we're representing someone who we say is God and holy. And then how can we go around behaving in a contradictory way? Something we need to do is something we need to get right. Because... Oftentimes, walking away actually causes more damage than addressing it. Because we don't know what other people's impressions are of us. And sometimes, when people are doing wrong, they hurt other people. And we are in the business of caring for people. So, they might be causing others harm, and they might be calling themselves harm. So, how do we respond? How do we respond as Christ followers? What do we do with the people in our world that are behaving hypocritical and acting in a way they shouldn't? And it's quite obvious in your sight. You might know them. They might be sitting next to you. They might be a friend, a family member, a son, a daughter, a parent. How do we respond? Well, according to Scripture, we need to respond prayer with prayerful confrontation. We need to respond with prayerful confrontation. And for the next little while, I'm going to share with you three prayers that we can pray when we have to deal with hypocrites. Is that okay? Yes. So here are three prayers that we can pray to invite God in to help us deal with this situation in our world. Because the reality is that we have to deal with them. We have to deal with these people in our world. So number one, here's our first prayer. God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. God, help me confront this situation, but with the goal of restoring that person. 
Not condemning them, not putting them down, but restoring them. Paul addresses this, as I said before, and this is what he says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If you're living by the Spirit, if they've messed up, if they've done something wrong, don't walk up to them and say, you're going to hell. That's what he's talking about. If they're in a place that's not right, we who claim to live by the Spirit of God, restore. What does the word restore mean? To put back in its original place. They've fallen from something. They've fallen out of the will of God. They've fallen from a place that they've experienced freedom. We who are led by the Spirit, we should gently lift them up. Gently restore them. Don't condemn them. Don't walk up to them and tell them that they're a horrible person. Don't tell them that they're going to a place that they sh- you, know, you wish they went to even if you wanted to. Don't do that. Here's another version, the NLT version. It says this. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Gently and humbly. Yes, they're doing something that's not right. Yes, they're doing something that's not right in the sight of God. But listen to what Paul says. He says, gently and humbly lift them up. Restore them. Put them back to the right place. See, the reality is that we are to be guides and not judges. Right? We are to not be the judge. We are to be the guide. We don't judge them. We guide them back to the right place. That's what scriptures encourage us to do. To love people back to God. Not condemn them to a place. We're not to be the judge, we are to be the guide. Your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help someone else get right with God. Right? Your goal is not to be right, is to help someone else get right with God. And the way to do that is to guide them and not judge them. Sometimes... We get this emotion in our heart, like somehow we're better. And when we act better, we are actually embodying the spirit of hypocrisy. Because we're saying we're better than that person. And we are not, because all of us have been saved by the grace of God. None of us are better than someone else. God's grace saved all of us, if you're a Christ follower. We've all received the same grace from the same God. And Paul picks it clearly. None of you can boast because no one did the work for themselves. God did the work. So we can't stand up and say, I'm better than you. And that's why Paul is saying, gently and humbly lift someone else up. Because we are not called to judge. We are called to help people back in the right place. Not by being mean. Not by having prideful love. Like somehow we are more loved. Look at Jesus' example with the woman who was caught in adultery. Right? This woman was dragged out 
of the very act of committing adultery, they dragged her to Jesus, they threw her at his feet, and they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, Jesus had a choice. How does he deal with this person? But Jesus was full, if you read the scripture, he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, if Jesus just decided to deal with it on a truthful basis, what do you think he would have said? You horrible woman. The truth is you've messed up. The truth is you've cheated on your husband. The truth is you've done a horrible thing. And because you've done a horrible thing, you're a horrible person. That's truth. What if Jesus just dealt with it with grace and said, you know what, it's okay. God's going to forgive you anyway. It doesn't matter what you did. It's all love here. I'm a God of love. Don't worry about that. It's all love. Jesus didn't deal with it with truth and grace solely. He dealt with it with truth and grace. He said, you're forgiven, but don't go and sin again. Grace and truth. Not just one or the other, but he was full of grace and truth. That's prayer number one. Prayer number two. God, help me confront carefully. Help me confront carefully. Go back to what Paul is saying again. He says this. If someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And then he continues and he says this, But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Right? If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. But, listen to the rest of the verse, Watch yourself, or you may be also tempted. When you're confronting you're vulnerable to pride because you're standing in a superior place to someone who's inferior in a certain situation. And so you have this weakness of pride. And when you put yourself in a position of correcting someone else, you're vulnerable because pride can come over. And what does pride do? Pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before you fall. That's one of the reasons Paul said... So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The moment we think we are better, we are open to the same problem. Because we think that will never happen to us. But the more we interact with the problem, the more we are in the vicinity of the issue, it has the danger of seeping into our life. Especially when we come from a point of pride. I remember one time I was preaching about being angry and talking about how not to be angry and how we should respond. And this was a series much long time, a long time ago. And I was talking about the example of, you know, when someone's driving and they cut you off, don't just react and scream at them. Respond. Put yourself in other people's person's position and think about maybe they're rushing because they're late from work. Maybe they're rushing because there's an emergency. Don't just freak out. Right? But 
a little later, driving home from church, after preaching that message, wouldn't you know it, someone cut me right off. And what did I do? I just started going, what an idiot! <laughs> Drive properly! And then the Holy Spirit convicted me. He's like, didn't you just come from church talking about the very thing you're just doing right now? And I had to repent. You know, because sometimes it's easy to fall into the same place you're telling other people not to do. Especially when you think yourself, Lo, I got this, I can handle this. It's so easy to fall into the trap when we tell other people not to do because we feel superior when we tell them we have to watch out for ourselves so we don't fall in the same area. So God, help me confront carefully. So we have to be very careful. How do we con con confront carefully with the heart to restore? Well, Jesus taught us. He talked to us in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 18. You can read it when you get home. But basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. This is what he says. If a brother or sister does something against you, we are to go to them and talk to them. Now, pay close attention because he's not talking to people that don't know God. He's not talking to people outside the church. He's saying when a brother and sister, which means that they are in the house, they're part of the family. They're part of the church. When a brother and a sister offends you, does something to hurt you, this is what we do. And I say again, he's not talking to people that don't live as Christ followers. Because especially when new people come into church, they're still growing in faith, as we said before. And we try to elevate them. We want instant transformation. We want them to be like this in a world yesterday and the next week. We need to be them super spiritual Christians that are on cloud number 10. We don't give them time to grow. We don't give them time to mature. We don't give them time to understand their walk of faith. It takes time to discover your new identity, right? So God does transform people, but we have to allow God to do the work of transformation in people's lives before we judge them according to our standard and our walk because the reality is that you didn't transform instantly. You didn't have an instant day where you were one way this way and the next a different way. It took time. So... Don't be a hypocrite and judge other people when it takes you time to get to the place. The reality is that all of us are still working on areas of our lives. Yes. Whether we've been a Christ follower from one day or 60 years, we're still working out the things that God has put into our life. So Jesus says, if you have a problem with someone, the same thing, thing to do, the first thing to do is to go and have a conversation with them, to have a conversation, talk to them, express your concern, express what's happening to you, tell them what's going on. Go to them directly, just between the two of you. Right? Talk to them and say, I want to talk to you. Don't go on Twitter and call them out. Don't put posts on Facebook with passive-aggressive thoughts telling them about their behavior. You know they're talking about you, and they know they're talking about you. They both know it. Don't be passive-aggressive. Jesus says, go to them directly and have a conversation. 
If they don't listen, then you bring someone else with you. You bring another person or two people with you to talk to this person, right? Because talking to them implies relationship. Have a conversation. If they still don't listen when, they, when you go to them with two other people or one other person and explain the issue, if they still don't listen to it, then you bring it to the church. You bring it before the church. You bring it to the leadership of the church and say, you know, I've talked to this person. We've done biblically what the Bible asks us to do, the scripture asks us to do, and they're still not listening. Then bring it before the church. That's how Jesus asks us to deal with this situation. If your brother or sister listen, he says, the first time you've won them over, you've restored the relationship. You've done it humbly and gently. If they don't, well, then you bring someone else. And if they don't still, take it to the church. And then you redefine the relationship. Because obviously, they're not interested in having one with you. So redefine the relationship. Maybe it means that this time you need to walk away. So, prayer number three. You ready? Yep. Is it good for you? Yep. God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Right? We pray for God to come in and help us with others, but maybe we're the hypocrite. It's so easy to see others in a different light. It's difficult to see it in ourselves. It's easy to look, but it's so hard to look in the mirror and see ourselves. We don't want to look into the mirror and look at who we are, at our own attitudes, at our own prejudices, our own proclivities. It's easy to look at other people and say, that's who they are, that's what they do, that's how they talk. But we don't look at ourselves. So sometimes we need to pray this way. Hold the mirror up to ourselves. And the way to hold the mirror up to ourselves is we ask God to show us. The scriptures also tell us that the, the scriptures, in fact, are the mirror that we look into. When we look into the scripture and it doesn't reflect who we are and how we behave, then the problem is not the scripture, it is us. Jesus actually referred to these people as blind fools. Blind fools who can't see their own failures. See, you look at Scripture and there's this beautiful example we find in the Old Testament where David, who was king, the greatest king of Israel, even to this day, he wasn't the first king, but he's still the greatest king that Israel ever has. In fact, he was so great that the Scriptures tell us that Jesus would sit on David's throne the honor given to David. But David was not a perfect man. David had issues. One of his issues was lust. Right? So one day, when his army was off to war, he was sitting up on his balcony, taking in the sunset, and he's looking out of his you know, palace, and he happens to see this beautiful woman just taking a little bath. And he was like, wow, she looks good. I have no Instagram pictures to post, but I'll take a look. And so he thought she was beautiful. Mind you, David's married, has a wife and kids, 
and he's lusting after this other woman. Then he calls his guys, you know, his boys, and says to them, hey, check out that woman. Can you go talk to her and tell her that I want to see her? Now, if they were any kind of friends or supportive, they would have said, you know what, David, maybe that's not a good idea. Because, hey, you're married, you have kids, you're a king, people look to you, you're a leader. Maybe that's not what you should do. But these boys, they're like, oh, it's cool, let me go, help. Let me go get her for you. They didn't say anything to David. They went out and they brought Bathsheba to him. He had a relationship with her. And then when her husband came back home, David plotted to kill him. Because Bathsheba got pregnant and there was no way that they're going to figure out that her husband Uriah got her pregnant because he was on the army. He was in the army on the battlefield fighting for David. Fighting for him. Honoring his king. Serving his king faithfully. And so David tried to concoct the situation. He, he invited Uriah in and he says, here, have some wine. We'll chill. We'll talk. Go home and have a great time with your wife because he's trying to cover up his sin. But Uriah was an honorable man. He said, you know what? I'm not going to do that when my men are on the battlefield fighting. I'm not going to come home, relax, and have a good time with my wife. I'm going to sleep outside on the courtyard. And David got upset because now he can't cover up what he did. So he couldn't convince Uriah to do anything. So what he did, he wrote a letter and saying, put Uriah in the here in the hottest part of the battle where I know he's going to get killed, he wrote this letter to the commander. He handed the letter to Uriah and said, Uriah, take this letter to your commander. And Uriah walked with this letter, his own death sentence, not knowing anything about it, to his commander. His commander read the letter, put Uriah in the heat of the battle, and Uriah died. Connived, lied, and murdered to cover up what he wanted. Anything no one knew, but God sees. And Nathan the prophet, Nathan comes to him and he says this. Let me tell you a story, King David. David's like, okay. He said, there was this rich farmer. He had a lot of sheep. You know, he took care of them and he, he really valued this. But he was rich. He had so much money. He enjoyed all that he had. And living next to him was this poor farmer. He had one little lamb. And he treated this lamb with so much love because not only was it a lamb that he possessed, but it was also his children's pet. So they would take it home. They would play with it. They would sleep with it. They would enjoy it. They would have time with this lamb. You know, it was a, a precious little thing to them. One day, this, this rich farmer had a visitor. And so he wanted to treat this visitor. So he looked around and he says, hey, you know, I have a lot of sheep, but here's this little lamb. He took the, his neighbor's lamb, killed it, and served it to his guest. And so Nathan says to David, this is what happened. Look at how David responded. He says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are this man. 
You are the one who did this. God's given you everything. Property, possessions, kingdoms, everything. You took one little thing that belonged to someone else. And then you conspired to kill him. Whenever you are con- most con- whatever you are most condemning is often a reflection of where you are most vulnerable. Whatever you are condemning is often a reflection of where you are most vulnerable. This is most times the case. We often criticize other people's money and say, Look, why do you have so much money? Why are you spending it all in this way? But secretly in our heart, we're wishing we had it. You know, we're critical of the way people dress, like, oh, they're dressing too sexual. Maybe because we have seen that because we have lust in our heart. Jesus asked us to not go around being spec inspectors. Right? We go around and we become spec inspectors. We look into other people and say, there's a speck in your eye. And we miss the whole log or tree trunk in our eye. Don't be spec inspectors, Jesus said. Trying to pick out little things in other people's lives when we have problems in our own lives. So before we judge other people and condemn them and say you're not behaving in the way you should as godly people, let's examine our own lives and find out whether we are being the hypocrites. Eventually David said this, as he came back and he realized his mistake, he said this to God, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, we can pray a similar prayer, but we can't pray that prayer because... We can't pray, God, take your Holy Spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from us. Because back in that day, the Holy Spirit was a covering spirit. We have an indwelling spirit. So God will never take his Holy Spirit from us. But we can pray the rest of it. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God. Right? Don't cast me away from your presence. Because sometimes when we, when we mess up, we feel far from God. God's not far from us. But we feel far from God. And when we feel far from God, we lose our joy, we lose our happiness because we know we're not in right standing with the one that loves us the most. And so he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we're in right standing with God and that relationship is clear, there's no barriers or hindrances, there's joy. But when you know there's something there in between you and God, there's no happiness in your life. There's no joy in your life because you know there's something there. And the only way to remove that hindrance is to say, God, create in me a clean heart. 
That doesn't mean that you have to have perfect behavior. It means you have a willingness of heart to say, God, I acknowledge my mistakes. I acknowledge my, my failures. I'm trying to live the way I am. And I know I mess up sometimes, but that's why I need you. Because God, you restore to me the joy of my salvation. Even when I mess up, you still love me the same way. Even when I fail, you still love me the same way. There's one thing that David did that was different from everyone else. He acknowledged when he messed up. And the first place he went to was always back to God. He always ran back to God. No matter how far he fell, no matter what he did, he realized the best place to be is in the presence of God because that's where God restores him. So David was not perfect, but he knew where to go when he messed up. Some of us, we run in the opposite direction because we feel guilty, we feel ashamed. But in spite of his shame and Wicked ways, David still ran back to God because he knew he was the only one that could restore him. Sometimes like sheep, we all wander, just like David wandered. We go astray, we fall astray. So James, you know, the leader of the church after Jesus was taken up to heaven, writes this to the church. He says this, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Gently restore them back. Be the guide and not the judge. Bring them back into the arms of a loving God by displaying how loving he is by your behavior. Not by your judgment. So sheep wander. So let's guide them back to the good shepherd. Let's not take them to the butcher where they're chopped up with words. Bring them back to the shepherd who loves them. Right? Sometimes we live in a butcher shop and not in a shepherd's pen. Really. We pull each other down with words. Chop each other down but we have a good shepherd. Let's restore them to the love of the good shepherd. We don't fix people, Christ does. Let's not confront with an act of condemning, let's confront with an act of restoring. Jesus will be able to take care of his sheep. Let's lead them back to him. Let's get this right so we don't hurt people and injure people. Let's lead them to the good shepherd. For he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The shepherd cares about his sheep. Let's lovingly love others back to a loving God. That's what we are called to do, to love people. So as we close off the series, I have two questions for you. Number one, Again, I remind you the reason we have questions is that you can take this away into your week and begin to use it as a mirror. Look into it and examine your life. Don't just come on Sunday, hear something and walk away because Jesus commanded us as well. Don't be just hearers, but be doers, right? To do, we have to examine and find out what's happening. And these questions will help us do that. Number one, how do we become a voice of restoration when we know someone who is making bad decisions. 
How do we be the voice of restoration? How do we use the right words? How do we invite God in to help us love? When we might be under pressure, we might be upset, we might be angry, we might be emotional, but how do we do that? How do we listen when we're upset? How do we pray and ask God to speak to us? Even when you don't want to do it, don't feel like doing it. We have to listen to when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. How can we be a loving person and not just a judgmental person? No, I talked about this in another series, God Reels, that we're called to be not judging people, but we exercise good judgment, which is a whole different thing. Judgment is for other people, and I'm judging other people, but good judgment is for me, what I will allow in my life. Right? There's a big difference. So we're called to make good judgment, but we're not called to judge people. Question number two. How do we examine our own heart so we don't fall in the same trap that we're trying to lift someone else out of? Right? How do we examine our own hearts so we don't fall into the same trap that we're trying to lift someone else out of? As I said before, when we stand in a place of exercising authority or judgment or even instruction over someone else, we are standing in a place of superiority because we are not doing the same behavior, but that opens us up to a place to fall because we're, pride can come in. So while we're restoring, the scripture says, don't let it overtake you. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it come into your life. As we're trying to lift someone else up, don't get pulled down into the same place. Remember, your anchor is in Christ and not in other people. So if you have security in Christ, you can reach down and lift someone up. But if you're not holding him, then you're easy to be pulled down. Right? So, let's try to examine our lives. See, Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He gives continually, even when we don't deserve it, when we don't expect it, and sometimes even when we don't want it. Because the scriptures tell us that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. If you're new to Christ, that's an amazing scripture. Which means Christ deposited in you before you even wanted him. He gave to you before you even acknowledged who he was. And if you've never made that decision to find out who Jesus is, I would encourage you. It's never late. There's nothing you've done that's so far gone that Christ can restore. He is the good shepherd. He comes looking for you. He searches you out. He comes to restore your life, to show you how much he loves you by demonstrating his sacrifice. He gave all of himself for love for you. And if you haven't found the good shepherd, then put your hand in his hand and let him lead you safely back 
to the security of his strong arms. He is the one that loves you more than anyone else could. Better than your father, better than your mother, better than your best friend, better than your spouse, better than your kids. Because he cares for you. Let's stand. So church, Transformers, as we've gone through this series, Relational Vampires, we've dealt with a whole bunch of people. Critical people, hypocritical people, needy people, unloving people. But in saying all of that, let's not find ourselves in that place. And the only way we can do that is by developing our relationship with Jesus. Because he pours into us all of his love, his his care, his compassion, all the things he wants us and desires us to be. And we in turn can be a conduit for that when we are full of his presence. We can pour it out to the people in our lives, the people we encounter, the people that don't know God. We can actually be his hands and feet when we are submerged and full of his presence. It just naturally overflows into the world around us. So let our prayer first and foremost be, Lord, fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. Pour into me all of your goodness, your mercy, your grace, so I can be a blessing to the people around me. Because as I'm full, I will naturally overflow into the lives around me. But if we're empty because of the cares of the world, the stress of life, the demands that we're going through, all that we can give out is what's in us. And that's anger and frustration, heartache and pain and emptiness. You can only give what you have. So let our prayer today, as we conclude this series, be this. Lord, fill me up. Fill me with your presence. Saturate me with your anointing. Cover me under your so I may be a true example of who you are and not be a hypocrite, but to demonstrate who I am in my words, in my actions, in my behaviors, and my attitudes. So if you're ready to pray, would you lift your hands with me as we pray that this morning? Father, we give you praise and thanks. We honor you, we love you, we bless you, and we praise you. We give you all glory because, Lord, there's nothing that we have done to deserve anything. But it's by your generous spirit and your everlasting love that you've poured it into our lives over and over that we are full. And Lord, we ask for a refilling. As we sang this morning, a resurrender. We want to resurrender more and more to you. So we are truly transformed day by day, week by week, year by year into the image that you've created us to be that when we examine ourselves in the true mirror of your scripture, that we reflect accurately what you've called us to be. And so we can reach out with loving arms and loving words and loving attitudes to love those around us and to be a true example of who you are, that we represent you accurately in all our encounters, whether at work, at home, when no one sees, and when everyone sees. 
There should be no disparity. We should be the exact same. So we honor you, we bless you, and we praise you. We ask for your blessing upon the church, upon your people, those gathered here, and even those watching online. We ask for your blessing. We pray all these things right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Put your hands together and give them some praise. Amen. Remember. Thank you for joining us today at Transform Church. We hope that you were encouraged by the message. And we are so grateful that you spent time with us. Now, if you've decided to follow Jesus or just have some questions, please get in touch with us by using the email address shown below. We would love to guide you as you take these important steps. If you would like to visit us in person, we would love to meet you. Just let us know when you will be joining us and we'll be here with open arms to welcome you and show you around. If you would like to support Transform Church, please type the link shown below into your web browser and it will provide you with all your giving options. It's been awesome having you with us today and we hope to see you again soon. Don't forget to apply what you have learned today and come back and let us know how this has helped you. Bye for now. We hope you have an amazing week and see you next time.